Real-world evidence is one of today's big data challenges in life sciences. Medical records, registries, consultation reports, insurance claims, pharmacy data, social media, and patient surveys all contain valuable insights that life sciences organizations need to ascertain and prove the safety, efficacy, and value of their drugs and medical devices. Welcome to this BioIT World podcast. I'm Allison Prophet, editor of BioIT World. Today, I'm exploring real-world evidence with Bill Fox and Imran Chaudhry. Bill is Global CTO for Healthcare and Life Sciences at MarkLogic. Imran is Chief Solutions Architect for Healthcare and Life Sciences also at MarkLogic. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks, Allison. Bill, I'll start with you. What's the difference between a real-world evidence project and other projects that life sciences organizations are working on? Allison, real-world evidence, it really comes down to the digital transformation of pharma. Yesterday, Janet Woodcock, who's the director of the FDA's Center for Drug Evaluation, said, the clinical trial system is broken. Now, that's a pretty bold statement from a federal agency because federal agencies tend to send signals. And what they're signaling is a recognition on the FDA's part that the current way that we gather data and do evaluations for drugs is broken. Yesterday, I also read a survey in Information Age that said that 97% of 1,000 IT decision makers said they were being held back from doing digital transformation and getting into the cloud by legacy infrastructure and architecture. So when you think about those two things together, that the FDA is signaling that the clinical trial system is broken and 97% of IT decision makers are being held back by legacy architecture and infrastructure, you've got a serious problem and a serious disconnect. So when you get into real-world evidence and you start talking to an organization, we've had meetings in large farmers with 40-plus people in the room. So the difference between a real-world evidence project and a project where they're doing a bake-off between three COTS apps that they're going to buy off the shelf is that this concerns everyone, and it fundamentally affects this legacy architecture that's holding everybody back. So every business line, every IT decision-maker wants to be in that room. This is going to affect the way they do business for a long time. So from our end, when we're talking to these large groups of, of business stakeholders and IT stakeholders, we're having a fundamentally different conversation than we are about other kinds of projects. And they need to understand that the time that they're going to take, the resources that they're going to dedicate are going to be fundamentally different. So real-world evidence is really sort of a lightning rod for digital transformation and for the way that these farmers are doing business and the way that they think about their IT. So when you've got 40 people in the room, how do you make the most of that? How is real-world evidence going to create opportunities for collaboration once it's in place? Yeah, so that's what's really interesting about these is in some cases, we've seen instances where this is the first time some of these people have actually been in a room together. They've communicated, they've sent emails to each other, but we see a lot of handshaking and nice to meet you in person during these meetings. And, you know, the CIO and the CTO of these organizations, they have to do, I've heard this new term in the last few days called cathedral thinking. So when you start thinking about actual digital transformation, when you start thinking about changing your IT infrastructure and architecture, you really have to think about that you're building something for the future. So if we take into account what the term real world means, what's interesting that thinking about real world evidence is this sort of cutting edge kind of term. You would think that using evidence from the real world would be fundamental to this. And that's really what the FDA is talking about and what we're trying to bring together. So if you think about the term translational medicine, we have to translate from this 
highly controlled, highly monitored clinical trial into what's going to happen with that drug when it goes into the real world. So what we're doing with real-world evidence is we're really closing the gap in that translation. If you think about some of the translations you might have read from a foreign language into English, and you know that it just doesn't make sense, that something was lost in the translation, what we're really trying to do is have the real-world evidence and the clinical trial converge and have a much closer connection. And that presents two kinds of opportunities for collaboration. One is internal, so you start to have parts of a business that weren't tied together before, weren't on the same page, weren't necessarily working together, start to work together. But it creates really important opportunities for collaboration in the market. So now a big pharma might be collaborating with a hospital system or a provider system or patients directly in order to gather this real-world evidence from them. So as opposed to this sort of internal facing clinical trial where the monitoring and everything is being done, they're opening up the evaluation and the gathering and the presentation of evidence to the rest of the stakeholders that in the end are going to be responsible for prescribing the drug, for administering the drug, for monitoring the drug, and the patients who are looking to that drug to help them be better. When you think about that, that really brings to the fore this IT collaboration that happens internally that Imran's going to talk more about because they really have to fix this broken system and get over all the barriers created by this legacy architecture so that they can get from real-world data to real-world evidence. Right. So, Imran, the ball is in your court. Nuts and bolts. How do you actually accomplish that? So, typically... Getting all of the data together and being able to collaborate at a digital level is a very hard thing to do, and that's usually because the data is in a lot of different formats, and it can take forever, literally years, to make all of that data fit into a single database schema. But if you could bring the data in as is into a central location, you can get going in days. And we've actually shown that at a lot of our customers already. We call this central location, this grand central station of data and operational data hub. So Life Sciences has a lot of disconnected data and data in silos that could be supporting real-world evidence business functions. And how can we make that work in an already disjointed environment? So like I said, the first thing is, is to try to bring the data together, but not bring it together in a way where you have to model it to the nth degree. Basically, just bring the data in as is. That's not to say that we don't care about the models or the schemas. They are extremely important. But the deal is, is that when you bring the data in, if you can bring it in in a schema agnostic way where you don't really need to have a specific schema, you can just bring it in from each of the sources, but also have the ability to understand that there is a schema and be able to be schema aware, that's a good first step. Once you have the data together, then you have to realize that each of your different users of the data set are going to have different use cases and are going to need different views of that data. The best way to provide those views is to provide those views in a multi-model sort of way. So what do I mean by multi-model? I mean the ability to search for anything in the database, very much like Google can search for anything in the web. You can search for all of your content. That content can be either structured or unstructured. The schemas themselves can be searched. The tags on those schemas can be searched. All of that is very important from a discovery aspect. But then in life sciences and healthcare, the vocabularies and the meaning of the data is extremely important. So the ability to understand semantics and search through semantics is really 
actually a very key way of viewing that data. And an example might be that when I'm searching for a drug called Bayetta, I don't need to know that it's generic is by Durian, but I can still find it. And then for your structured data, having table views is a very proven 40-year-old way of doing it. So having those views on top of the data sets is also important. You also need to be able to aggregate and very, very rapidly count your data sets to be able to populate dashboards in real time. And then real-world evidence is really located in the real world, so geospatial views are also extremely important. Being able to provide all of these views from a single repository very, very rapidly out of the box is really the key to, to collaborating very quickly. So Bill had mentioned legacy hardware, but you've got a lot of legacy thinking in these companies, in all companies that already exist. And so bringing all this data together sounds good, but it's going to raise a lot of questions about data security and access and how do we know that we can trust the data and understand how and where it's going to be used. How do you address those sorts of questions? Right. So this falls into the area of that schema agnostic and schema flexible way of doing things. So not only can we keep the data together, we can also start keeping the lineage of the data, which data set this came from, which software version of the ingest or enrichment was done on it, who's authorized to use it, who actually is using it, so what is the operational metadata what licenses are associated with this data. All of this can be part of the data set that's actually stored in the database as well. And then quality of data is extremely important. I've been in certain clinical situations where about 10% of the data is incorrect. And being able to run quality and consistency checks as you're bringing the data in and enriching that data with the correct version of the data, but still keeping the old version of the data is a very solid way of doing this. And then, like you said, as you're bringing all of this data together, security becomes an extremely important aspect. Having role-based security, being able to secure individual rows or documents in your database, and then even being able to secure individual elements within the database becomes important. An example of this was we were working with a very large IDN that wanted to start sharing some of its data. Their EHR system obviously had PHI data with it, but they were very easily able to say, okay, this is PHI, this stuff doesn't get published, this stuff is non-PHI, researchers can access this stuff. So that ability to slice and dice at an individual column or, or tag level is, is extremely important. So this sounds wonderful. It also sounds pretty resource intensive. Why is this something that we're talking about now? What is it about the technology landscape that lets us sort of tackle these questions that we have not been able to look at before? Yeah, so Allison, that's a really interesting point. And I think we have to go back from before the world that Imran described and remember sort of this information age survey that came out that said 97% of a 1,000 IT decision makers they surveyed are being held back by their legacy architecture. And I think what you really have there is an understanding gap. So we had a situation in a major healthcare enterprise where they were looking at a large data integration project. You listed in your introduction all the various sources of data that we would want to bring together in a real-world evidence hub. So when you look at a project like that, this organization was looking at it with their legacy architecture, legacy mindset, and that's where they're coming from. They're looking at it, and how long is it going to take us to do this? It seems like an extremely heavy lift. It's going to take years. It's going to take millions and millions of dollars. They had scoped out this project as taking 40,000 hours. We came in and did the project in 5,000 hours. And I think that that's a mindset shift that organizations really only see when they kind of do that proof of concept, when they 
data into the new technology that Imran was describing, and they see, wow, I can actually do this in whatever the percentages of the time I'm used to thinking about. And when I do it, I can see these different views. I can search it. It's secure. I see the governance. So the real lift is getting those people together and getting them to degree to take the first step. So in consulting, they talk about, you know, what's the hurdle rate for a project? What sort of hurdle do I have to get over to get this project approved, to get this project started? And what we can do now with new technology is lower that hurdle. It's helped the organization say, okay, we're going to take the first step here. We're not going to get stuck in talking about legacy technology. And also another thing the CIO and the CTO have to do in these large organizations, in these large meetings, is kind of get past IT religion. You've got a lot of different factions coming to the table who have been in relational for a long time. You might have another group that's looking to polyglot solutions, open source solutions, and then the CISA is going to get involved. The Chief Information Security Office and say, oh, no, 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 that stuff's not secure. We've all been hearing a lot about the Equifax breach in the last couple of weeks and ransomware, so I've got to have security. So you've really got to be open to an understanding of I'm building something that's going to last for a while here. I know it's existential because the FDA is signaling me, look, the old world is not satisfactory. That system is broken. So they've got to take this first step and look at some technologies, put their data in those technologies, and say, is this going to be scalable? Is going to be everything I want, what Imran referred to as sort of the multimodal database? Is it going to be secure? Am I going to be able to track this data when the FDA comes knocking and say, where did this data come from that you used to do this? Perhaps pragmatic trial or new form clinical trial. So that's really where we can come into an organization and help where the new technology actually helps with sort of the cultural and the legacy thinking that the CIO or the CTO or maybe the CXO or who's ever running this project needs to work through so that they can get to the point where they can really start implementing a real-world evidence solution. So the best way is really to see it in practice and see how those concerns are addressed. Yeah, it's something that we see across all industries, and I've seen across healthcare and life science and insurance and others over the years that I've been doing this, is everyone can come to the table with a belief system about what works, what doesn't work, what's possible. I've given talks at conferences and had CIOs of hospitals come up to me afterwards and say, you can't do that thing you said you can do. And my response is always, let's have some data and we'll show you how you can do that. So yeah, I think really to get past all that, you can talk and talk and talk, but put some data in the technology and then understand whether or not you think it can do what you need it to do now and whether you think it's going to be able to do what you see it doing as the RW project grows and grows and becomes enterprise. Well, Bill and Imran, thank you both for joining me. I've enjoyed talking more about how we get this off the ground and out of just a good idea. Thanks, Allison. Thank you, Allison. It was a pleasure.